Blog Talk Radio. And good day to you, my friends, and welcome to episode number two of the Pepper Mindset here on Recipe Records Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. I am one of your hosts, Lena Stagg, the author of the Recipe Records Cookbook Series, and my co-host is the Pepper Mindset Brainiac, your Pepperland principal, Sean Gaylord, who is going to join us in just a moment. And we are thanking you so much for tuning in today and checking out our show last week. We have received such great positive response, and that is that just makes us very happy. So thank you so much for being here with us and celebrating eh, one of my favorite things in the world, the Beatles. Sean and I are honored to have the acclaimed author, Ken Womack, as our guest today. He's going to chat with us about George Martin, the the distinguished record producer of the Beatles, and a super talent in his right. I, first of all, want to be sure that I thank my fabulous support crew for putting our show together. Rand Kessler, the lucky husband of Jude Sutherland Kessler, the author of the John Lennon series. He is our personal recording engineer and has put together our wonderful music, today. So thank you so much for that, Rand. You have no idea how how grateful we are. <laughs> and he's our Jeff Emmerich, by the way. Hey, if you know who Jeff Emmerich is, you can give us a call into the show and I'll give you a prize. Okay. And thanks to uh, everybody will Google it. I know that's what will happen now. Now it's, now it's no fun. Thanks to Nicole Michael of 910 Public Re- Relations for her outstanding representation and support for this show as well. If you are on Facebook, please not only check out and and send friend requests to Sean and myself and check out Ken Womack's page, but please go to the Facebook page for Beatles at the Ridge Festival which is this fabulous Beatles Festival. It is taking place September 15th and 16th. It's in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. And it is it is just absolutely a fabulous place. We will have another radio show, and we'll just talk about that all all day long. But there are details on that page for a Little Dog at the Ridge art contest. There is... We're putting together a, a book and using artwork that is submitted into this contest for the book. So you have until July 15th to get your line drawings submitted, and you have a chance to have your art published in Little Dog at the Ridge and... Ken Womack is going to be at Beatles at the Ridge. Also, there's just so many reasons to check this festival out. I will be there with the little dog at the Ridge. And it'll be great fun as you you can't do anything with that's related to the Beatles and not have fun, trust me. I've and speaking of fun, I'm all settled in here with my special beverage, which happens to be a recipe in the recipe records, a culinary tribute to the Beatles. It is a drink that is inspired by the gentleman who is our main topic today, Beatles producer George Martin. And this luscious beverage is named 
George Martini. Get it? And it features my favorite berry, blackberries. So be sure you check out Recipe Records, a culinary tribute to the Beatles. You can find it on Amazon or at my website, RecipeRecordsCookbook.com. So I'd like to introduce our special guest today, Dr. Kenneth Womack, who is going to delve into the life and influence of music producer George Martin, who is an important piece of the Beatles package. Ken is a world-renowned authority on the Beatles and their enduring cultural influence. He has a book coming out this August. Uh, and it is going to be a blockbuster. It's a two-volume, full-length biography devoted to Sir George Martin, and it is called Maximum Volume, The Life of Beatles Producer George Martin, The Early Years, 1926 to 1966. So uh, that is going to be a Fabulous, fabulous release, and mark your calendars for that. And if you go to Beatles at the Ridge, you can meet Ken, get a copy of the book. He will personally sign it for you, so you can't uh, get any better than that. So we're going to get connected here with Sean, my co-host, our Pepperland principal, who is really a middle school principal in North Carolina. He's also the author of a fabulous blog that I have come to greatly enjoy. It is titled Principal, and you always know that Principal is your pal, so Principal with a P-A-L, linernotes.wordpress.com. Be sure you check that out. You can become a follower, and then you'll get notifications of every new blog that he puts out. And be sure you could to check out Ken Womack at Twitter, and Facebook. Ken's website is kennethwomack, W-O-M-A-C-K.com. And he's at Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, all that social media junk. And Sean and I are on all that social media junk as well. I am going to go ahead and see if I can get connected with Sean. I've gotten a little bit wordy here. Hello, Sean. Are you there? Hello, Lena. I am here in uh, our virtual Abbey Road studio number two. <laughs> Very cool. So awesome. Thank you so much for writing the show. <laughs> what can I say? Well, th- thank you. <laughs> Speaking of writing, Lena, I, I do have to say uh, as I'm leafing through your culinary tribute to the Beatles. I uh, I am looking forward to a George Martini myself, and uh, I am I am raising my cup of uh, coffee here. In my uh, all you need is love and the beach uh, coffee mug to you, and um, <laughs> awesome. and, and again, just very pleased as as punch to be here with you and 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 Kenneth, who we'll, we'll have on shortly, and. Looking forward to our conversation regarding Sir George Martin, and again, grateful to collaborate and to riff off of of, of you. Well, that's just, uh, it's great fun to be able to do that, and it's such a great topic. George Martin is, um, gosh, what a what a talent he was, and just what, I, I we were talking before we started, before the show started about, um, how perfect all the ingredients were that that made up the Beatles. There wasn't just the four guys. There were there were other ingredients that went into the recipe, and um, but George Martin has to be the sugar of the cake. <laughs> he he de- definitely the Savoy truffle, and it, it's funny you should mention that, and it's something that we can talk with Ken later. Uh, the Beatles and the synergy of of that band and the and the collaboration that you know how they evolved to being this bar band in I like to call it a bar band in, in, in Liverpool and and became this this cultural phenomenon this brotherhood and you you really cannot think of any other producer 
that could sit in that chair, that could sit on that bench, you know, as as John and Paul were auditioning their songs. And again, there are a lot of great producers, a lot of great folks at that time that I'm sure would have done an ample job. But again, a necessary ingredient that that was Sir George Martin. No one else uh, could have sat in that chair and and done what what he was able to do in that collaboration with with the Beatles. And if we are playing a a game, the the home version of the Pepper Mindset at home, every time I say collaboration, you you must uh, put your fist in the air because that is a key ingredient to the the Pepper Mindset. Notice I didn't say drinking game, but but we're, you know we'll we'll keep it uh, age appropriate and. and Yes. <laughs> Put your fist in the air or, or wave a peace and love sign. How about that in, in honor of, uh, of what the Beatles have brought? So, excellent. Um, yeah, we'll do that. Peace and love and just wave that sign every time. Again, collaboration. That's the secret word for the pepper mindset. There you go. <laughs> excellent. All right, Sean, uh, why don't you um, see if our guest is now here? Well, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking up in our virtual control booth here in Studio 2, and I believe I see. Uh, Ken, are you there? I certainly am. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing very great. Thank you very much. It's, i got to tell you, I, with this pepper mindset and, and being able to, to speak with authors, I, I was a blubbering fool last week with our guests, uh, Donovan Day and and uh, and Jim Birkenstadt and and now I I hope I do not fall into that same um, I know I'm going to I'm just going to be straight up with you man um, so I'm I'm just <laughs> great to have uh, uh, our our version uh, of Mark Lewis in here with us if if not better and I went there too sorry Mark if you're you happen to be listening so great to have you here uh, Ken well that's very kind you know I I have great reverence for Mark he's a, a great friend and. I don't think many of us would be doing what we weren't we were doing if it hadn't been for his pioneering work. Absolutely, absolutely, and in fact, I was and in, in, I'm I'm going to date myself just a little bit. I just happened to be in preparing for our time together and preparing for uh, the blog post uh, I, I pulled together. I, I leafed through my first what my my well thumbed dog-eared first edition of Mark Lewison's The Beatles uh, Recording Sessions, which came out in uh, in 1988, hardcover. Uh, the, the jacket is, has, has since been destroyed, but truly... Um, <laughs> truly a uh, a genius in in the in the field of scholarship for for Beatles and and his his references and and his words have proved to just be so phenomenal and when when you talk to Mark uh, Cannon we'll we'll talk about your 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 books and um and and your work that's coming up please please just ask Mark uh, we're we're waiting for volume 2 for 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 all these years so <laughs> <laughs> Please. Well, my understanding is we're looking at 2020. Okay, that's uh, that's on the horizon and um, a perfect uh, and 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 we we will have plenty of uh, Beatle things to keep us occupied in the meantime with the the upcoming uh, uh, Pepper uh, uh, Deluxe Edition, Super Deluxe, uh, Deluxe Edition for the 50th anniversary. So, w- with that said, and and. You know, perhaps for you know, we do have some Beatle geeks out there that that are listening, and will also tune into our our archive, and and are very much familiar with uh, the things that we just kind of said about George Martin uh, at at the top of the program. And uh, but we also have some educators out there, and we'll we'll, we'll talk about my fellow um, educator friends out there um, who who might not be uh, as as uh, aware of. George Martin and and who he is and and why we are we are even talking about him this evening so so perhaps uh, a cliff noted thumbnail uh, overview as best as you can on uh, on who Sir George Martin is was and his role with the Beatles. You bet I'd be delighted and and as Linnea described him at the top of the show he really was that uh, that missing ingredient. Um, you know, it's hard to imagine them, uh, and I don't think we would be talking about him, uh, the Beatles, rather, if it weren't for George, uh, coming into the story, right, almost like a, 
like in a script at the at, a, at the right moment uh, when they were ready to have their own paradigm shift of sorts. Uh, George was born in January 1926 in uh, North Holloway, London. Um, he was born, many are surprised still to discover, on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, mm. He grew up uh, with uh, some exposure uh, as, a, as a young piano player, uh, imagined himself uh, becoming maybe an aeronautical engineer or something. Uh, the war was going on uh, as he was coming of age, so he would see planes flying around the RAF, etc. And uh, uh, George began to be in a dance band uh, during what would have been, I guess, his high school years. Uh, the four tune tellers, he loved a good pun. Um, and then uh, went off to war in the fleet air arm, and it was the experience that changed him. It took him out of his comfort zone, certainly. Uh, he knew he needed to get away, uh, and of course there was the attraction of the war effort, uh, which which um, drew so many young men, uh, allied troops, uh, off to discover themselves. And in George's case, it was at the tail end of the war. Uh, he was younger than than many of the of the recruits, and George. Uh, had his probably his defining experience with the officers when he was working toward officer training, he began to spend time with them. Uh, and of course, certainly when he, uh, when he was made an officer himself and he discovered, uh, this kind of upper class world that they occupied, you know, this world of privilege and they had beautiful accents and, uh, he began very self-consciously to mimic them. And, uh, and, and that would define, in some ways, the rest of his life, uh, that need to, I've heard some people say, social climb. Anyway, uh, hmm. a magical thing happens also during this period. He uh, becomes a correspondent, uh, literally pen to paper, with a guy named Sidney Harrison, whom George called his fairy godfather. And George, uh, excuse me, Sidney taught George through the post uh, about musical notation, about arrangement, um, orchestration to a certain extent and really opened up his world. He would send his compositional ideas and Sidney, who was an accomplished pianist and a, a faculty member at the Guildhall in London was doing it like a lot of great people at that time to reach out to, to the, to the boys in the war. Right. So he was uh, really doing a wonderful service. Um, and he, he stood by George, uh, even after the war was over, even after uh, George was demobbed, as they used to say, and he helped him to audition and be accepted into the Guild Hall, which was an incredible coup for George. Um, and uh, after he graduated or finished his coursework, rather, Sidney was there again, suggesting that he go and uh, uh, interview for a job with Oscar Preuss at uh, EMI, uh, and more specifically the Parlophone label. And that that string of events is what put him then. Uh, sort of uh, on the Beatles landing strip about 12 years later. So that's sort of a mm -hmm. shorthand version of, of how George comes to be in their story, which is uh, really a kind of miracle of happenstance in a lot of ways, you know, that, that all of those elements would come together. Uh, and and it's sort of the mystery of, isn't it, of, of, of this great love that we all share for the Beatles and, um, uh, sort of the the narrative thread of how it all might not have happened uh, if if one detail or one one moment of happenstance were were shifted in one direction or another. Absolutely, and 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 both and so so beautifully stated there, Ken. And in the Beatles narrative, there are those those little tipping points that if if it had gone one way, if if. If, the, if they had decided to go along with his advice and, and record, you know, the safe hit of how do you do it, and, and if that had been the first volley in, in the Beatles' uh, canon, more, more than likely um, they, they probably would have ended up like, you know, Freddie and the Dreamers or, or the Mercy Beats, you know, these kind of one-hit wonders that – that, that that you know that have 57 members in the band and you know play on the cabaret <laughs> circuit now you know um and and they they stuck to their guns so it, for for our listeners the the fact that i mean the producer at that time was what was was god dictator 
you know, the the man, if you will. And 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 you know, why do you think you know George shifted away from from that role almost? You know, I mean, not overnight, but 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 again, it, it you know, kind of over a, um, a, a kind of a short period of time, um, you know, became more of a a collaborator. So so, what were those kind of tipping uh, I, points I for George Martin? I thrust my fist in the air when you said collaborator. By the way, I, I did. Oh, thrust very my good, fist very good. Use the love. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, <laughs> just for the whole time. <laughs> um, it was tactical. Many of those were tactical decisions by George. Um, he was very uh, calculating by his own admission. Um, you know, he was always looking for an angle, looking to find the right formula. And, you know, the 12 years that he was at Parlophone, uh, first as assistant A&R man to Preuss, and then later as after Preuss's retirement, and then very quickly thereafter his death, George was the head A&R man, the A&R head for Parlophone, uh, the youngest label head, uh, I believe, in EMI history. Um Part of that was possible because they didn't think much about Parlophone. It was they called it the third label. You know, uh, the real story for recording artists uh, who didn't call themselves that in the fifties uh, would have been the HMV label or the Columbia label, and, and Parlophone was the third label. Um, they were known for a quirky kind of clientele from jazz artists and even Dixieland bands up in Scotland. Uh, and later at George's behest, they were creating comedy records. Um, and I think that those moments, many would agree, are the cornerstone of what makes George um, interested in the studio as a kind of workshop. He enjoyed working with folks like Peter Ustinov, and they, they made a, a short track called Mock Mozart, which he adored. Yes. Um, the idea of recording all of those voices and being funny and and uh, you know, manipulating sound uh, in various ways, sometimes using various speed inside the studio, really excited George. And that was a good palette for when the Beatles came along later on. So a lot of those pieces getting into place were very important. You mentioned collaboration. To my, my mind, the cornerstone of the Beatles' collaboration, and I hope people are out there punching their fists, unless it's only when you say it. Maybe it's when you say yes. it. No, no, but, it's, it's all inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good. I like that. It's more different. So in any, event, um, in any event, you mentioned collaboration, and their first collaborator, as far as their, their showbiz narrative goes, you know, their success narrative, is going to be Brian Epstein, right, who comes along and collaborates with them. But the key aspect is, of course, that he is an outsider. Brian is not really a personnel manager. He is a, a record store manager who used to be a furniture store manager, who used to be uh, a RADA um, student before he quit that, who used to be a military recruit before he quit that. And he was looking for his place. He's in Liverpool, which makes him an outsider to anything cultural at that time. And uh, they're outsiders. And so it's interesting how they, they choose their collaborators. They choose their collaborators out of necessity, but also out of who will collaborate with them. And that kind of outsiderness to me is the key to everything. And unbeknownst to them, down in London, this whole time is another outsider named George Martin, who is pretending to have, his, as Mark Lewison says, a cut glass voice, right? That beautiful voice, who yes. is pretending to be upper crust, who is trying to make his mm-hmm. way with this record label, which he writes uh, after its, its many years of struggle through the comedy records. And their timing could not have been more perfect. It was a matter of then getting them to actually come together and become collaborators. And as you know, I'm sure, for many months in, in early 1962, George resisted even the idea of working with them. That's right. Mm-hmm. He, he um, you know, in fact, it, doesn't he not show up like maybe after their initial uh, uh, audition or, or uh, audition test at, at EMI? And, and he, 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 he kind of comes in afterwards and here, here, here's the tapes, and and that's where we have the classic story with uh, George, you know, George Harrison saying, I, 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 I don't like your tie, you know, which breaks the ice. <laughs> right, and uh, and and of course, then George respects that because it's funny, and he likes funny. If people who can laugh at themselves, he can, he feels like he can work with that. You mentioned earlier about how at that time the A and R man was God. I think that's true. You know, the the sessions were typically ninety minutes. 
And when they said you had a 90-minute session, that's what you had was a 90-minute session. Whatever was going to happen was going to be in that space. And it was George's job, given the um, uh, the paucity of his budgets that he had uh, via EMI for Parlophone, to stay on that clock, right? And those were union shops, yep. had to keep people moving, and had to make sure that whatever they, was, they were going to do was cut and ready and done. There was not going to be a lot of coming back. Nobody, nobody did that then, right? Um, right. And uh, so he really was, as, as you guys were saying earlier, a kind of god to them. He was also much older. You know, being 36, they thought he was the oldest man in the world. Uh, here he is. He's very tall, and he's got that voice, which at first they <laughs> had to have not known that he was more like them than they thought. Uh, so, you know, a, a voice like that when you're coming from the North Country is very distancing on purpose, right? It's putting distance between you as the upper class personage and them. So those were very important elements. The way they win him over, uh, to my mind, is the session where he first hears, please, please me. He hears that slow and dreary version, as he calls it. And then he says, well, what gives here? You know, speed this thing up. If you speed this up, I think you've got something. And then he, then he starts scolding them. Well, why didn't you rehearse that already? And uh, Paul, was, Paul McCartney was particularly affronted. He thought, well, yeah, we should have thought of that. And they listened to him. So this was after you know, the first few sessions, the uh, turning a blind eye and, and actually showing out, uh, outright disdain, as you noted, for, for how do you do it. This was the moment when they thought, well, okay, and they went back to Liverpool. They rehearsed the thing. They brought it back. George comes again late to that session, but he hears the acetate. And he is blown away by the result. And I think, like most of us, he was also blown away by the fact that they did what he said, and he was right. Right? We love that. And I'm a dean, and we, you know, we work with people all the time, and people love to be right, and George liked being right. And besides, <laughs> he listened to that tape, he listened to the recording, and he thought, this is it. And this is where, as far as the George Martin story goes, we really uh, owe a special debt of gratitude to Mark Lewison because Mark was able to isolate a meeting in November 1962 where George gets together with Brian and with the Beatles, and they're not getting together for a recording session. They come in, and this is um, – I don't know if I have my timeline correct here because it's, as you know, a story of many, many words and many chapters. It is right around the time when they're about to record the version of Please Please Me, and you know George is going to famously say, you've recorded your first number one song. <laughs> um, and mm -hmm. Do you guys remember what happens next? Well, I, I, I think, uh, do, do they all run to the pub and, uh, and carry George <laughs> out don't. on their shoulders? <laughs> no, it's better than that, and they love to go out to the pub because it means we're getting regular meals. These are the, the Hamburg yeah. Beatles, right? Um, yeah. They burst out laughing because it was really? a hilarious, <laughs> absurd thing to say. They, you know, of course that was their fondest dream, but seriously? Who would say wow. that? <laughs> but George Martin did because he, at hmm. this point, has thrown his lot in with them. When they go off and they record that version and they show that the fast version has hit written all over it, he goes to them in that November meeting and says, look, we're going to do the unthinkable. We're going to make an album. Nobody made an album hmm. a beat group like that that had one, at that point, you know, barely top 20 single, right? That's right. It's incredible. Hmm. But that's the moment when I think George gets away from this formulaic way of thinking about how to pick the locks of the record industry, and he decides, you know, come hell or high water, I'm in with these guys. Wow. That is, uh, that's amazing. And, and what follows is these pristine strings of, of hits, these pearls, these, you, you see this progression and, and, you know, in this collaboration, fist in air, everybody, um, the, the, <laughs> you, we, we, we move from the, you know, the pop hits, the formulaic hits to, uh, you know, things like, oh, well, let's slide in a little flute on You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. Oh, Paul's got this little idea that uh, the song called Scrambled Egg. Uh, Paul, you know, George says, nah, you know what, maybe, maybe we need to put a court, string quartet on it. And, you know, and, and then, of course, we get to the Rubber Soul era 
revolver era where where we are we're doing all kinds of of groovy psychedelic things so to speak but 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 great innovations in in the studio so uh, how, how do you know what what's your take on that kind of that that quantum leap that that scene in the beatles uh you know, film here that we're kind of we're kind of storyboarding here, where we go from the 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 black and white era of of uh, you know she loves you, I want to hold your hand, hard days night, you know, black and white of course film, to to this this uh, day glow, uh, multicolored technicolor uh, you know era of rubber soul and revolver because again, a producer is 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 protecting the company's investment. And you know this is a time where we're, we're rolling out hits. So, so you know, why do you think George made that that leap with 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 the band? You know, circa '65, well, you know, circa '66. Well, he does make that leap, but remember, you you said something very important there. You said protecting the company's investment, and as I'm sure you know, he has a very um, tendentious relationship by the time he meets yeah. the Beatles with EMI, uh, you know, with LG Wood in particular, he felt he was being undervalued. Um, of course, we later learn he's living, living a double life. So uh, his need for additional income could be because he has a family out in the suburbs, uh, a girlfriend in town. Um, and, uh, you know, London's always been London, so it was expensive. <laughs> and, yes. uh, you know, there's, there's just no doubt that that was true. And uh, he also... Um, had an arch rival, all great heroes do, right? And his yes. was Nori mm-hmm. Paramore, who was the Columbia A&R head, who was making pots of money um, off mm. the back of Cliff Richard. And uh, and George was frankly jealous of it. He was jealous that, that uh, Nori drove a Jag. <laughs> you know, these things were <laughs> in his mind all the time. Uh, they were in his mind even in the 70s. Um, uh in 79, when Nori mm-hmm. dies, he's still thinking about that, you know, and of course what's interesting about that is by that point, George has eclipsed him in history by miles. Uh, wow. You know, just, right. just incredible miles by that point. But George was always competitive, and he, he did have that kind of uh, relationship with EMI. So he certainly was always mm-hmm. trying to prove himself, and uh, that was a good quality to have. One of the things I discovered working on this book, not discovered because I knew it, but really started to feel acutely was, um, and we're all old enough to know this, about, about what it was like in those days, um, back in the days of the 60s when, when folks would talk about the generation gap, right? And they would talk mm-hmm. about uh, derisively about the teen idols of the day, and you remember what they would call them, a flash, they're going to be a flash in the pan. Right. These were words right. that would drive people like Brian and George crazy, um, these notions. And really until Revolver, um, they are, and, and perhaps even still at that point to a certain extent, they are worried about that entire scenario. You know, what are we going to do after the band is no longer successful? Are we going to work in shoe stores? What's going to happen here, you know? <laughs> um, you know, what's going to happen? We we don't have anything to fall back on. This, this is, it's not going to last, is it? I mean, any day now, this is all going to stop. <laughs> so there was this constant concern about, about that. And that's why, as you know, George and Brian were always pushing for new material. Uh, you know, two albums a year, a movie, several mm-hmm. singles, right? Just to make sure yes. they kept feeding the kitty. Um, so George's most important uh, role during the period you just described was just getting new content because there was an insatiable public demand and as long as that demand was there he wanted to feed it you know he was absolutely mm-hmm. dead set on making sure they got every last drop out of this because again surely it's not going to last right that's right <laughs> uh, that, that was really his attitude um well into you know by the time he turns 40 in january 1966 that's kind of where he is now you mentioned uh, those key moments with um, certainly with you've got to hide your love away in yesterday. And those were pretty calculated instances where George said, you know what? I feel like they're ready, right? I feel like they're ready. Let's, uh, mm-hmm. let, let me try out these ideas. And, uh, and of course, he read that very quickly. His, his oldest son, Gregory, said to me that that was uh, probably the best aspect of his father was his ability to 
um, to, to sense that in a relationship when somebody's ready to try something. But then he also knew how to tactically withdraw, which of course would be very important, uh, say in 1968 and 69, to sort of ebb and flow in terms of his mm. relationship so as not to crowd them. But that was right. a tactical maneuver, and of course it pays off handsomely because you know what we get from that. When, when, when we get songs like Yesterday and You've Got to Hide Your Love Away and then Norwegian Wood and In My Life, they take a, a demographic that's what, six, you know, 14 to 25-year-olds, and they make it 12 right. to 100. Right. And it becomes that's, a, that's a paradigm shift. They blow up the way people think about popular music in the space of a matter of months, really. Just absolutely destroy yeah. it. And, and I think that it, it would be fitting at this moment in, in terms of paradigm shifts, and I know Lene has got it uh, brewing in the background with her George Martini, um, <laughs> but, but, but the, the kind of the pinnacle of this collaboration or, or kind of a great landing spot for the, the collaborative spirit of, of, of Lennon, McCartney, Harrison, and Starr with, with George Martin and, and Emmerich and, and that whole lot is, is the song A Day in the Life. And um, when if if anyone has ever seen the the Beatles anthology um mini series uh and and George is in the studio and he's talking about that track and he plays take one of a day in the life and he gets very his whole expression on his face changes and 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 you sense pride uh this this love for this band his his kind of his little brothers um, but but Lene, I think if if you may, maybe just play a little bit of, of Day in the Life, and and then afterwards we can we we can talk about the significance of that song with this collaboration with George Martin the Beatles. You got it, guys. I read the news today, oh boy, about a lucky man who made the grade, and though the news was rather sad. I just had to laugh. I saw the photograph. Oh, it's such a great track. A Day in the Life, the concluding track from Sgt. Pepper, and, and a song that uh, brings so many. Uh, you, we see all of the ingredients of, of the Beatles story in this track, and and the impact and, and beautifully collaborative hand of George Martin as producer. Ken, uh, what, you know, if, if we're sitting in, and again, I feel like we're just sitting in your class right now, and, and Lene and I are taking <laughs> notes and, and throwing spitballs at each other, uh, <laughs> but, 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 you know, as, as, as students of, of, of you, what, 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 what's the takeaway of, of the song and, and George Martin's role in it? Well, first of First, it's, it's, to me, it's their most luminous accomplishment, uh, and I agree with you. It is the concatenation of, of everything they are artistically. Um, after I, I had the privilege of being at the Grammy Museum last week when Giles Martin played the album, the new, new rig mixes in their entirety, and afterwards he oh. said and that, that it was his father's finest accomplishment. I really think it is. Yeah, uh, I because that's where George really... Uh, absolutely um, excelled at being able to help uh, artists reach their, their vision. He may not get you all the way there. Nobody does, right? There's always a little piece out there that, that maybe isn't quite captured, but um, they, they forced every bit of the technology uh, to accomplish what they wanted to do with that song from the, uh, the echo in, that they used in studio one, the ambiophonics as it was called to uh, to the way the orchestra is recorded, to that incredible middle eight. Uh, you know, John wanted the sound of apocalypse. It's the sound of apocalypse. You know, yes. it's, uh, mm-hmm. it absolutely is. And it's a, it's a brutal uh, cultural commentary. Uh, it, it shows them, we already knew this, that they were serious artists, but these were serious artists now, uh, and particularly in this case, in the voice of, of Lennon and to some extent McCartney, commenting on what they saw out in the world. I was reading some contemporary reviews uh, just a few days ago. I was reading the New York Times review and then also 
uh, William William Mann's review in uh, in uh, in the London Times, and it was staggering how he was picking up on what they were saying. You know, um, so mm-hmm. it really is the the complete story of of all of the all of these elements coming together. It's also an incredible, ambitious idea. The whole recording of that album and that song is is the centerpiece in every way. It's very ambitious to to think of uh, of an album in this way. What did Paul say at one point? Well, you know, it's not great literature. Well, at this point, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it truly is, and 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 it is a great work of literature. It's a piece of literary art. You can interpret it. It has meaning. It is saying something, right? Um, to me, that is is extraordinarily powerful. And of course, it's a commentary that you know is still appropriate. And I'd love to turn on the crowd and help them elevate how they see the world. But you know, it's an enduring quandary. <laughs> it it. It, it it really is, and you know one of the things about the George Martin story is you know we we move quickly from '67 to the the, the beautifully uh, wrought swan song that is Abbey Road. The band the band is over. George Martin goes on to uh, you know pursue other um, pr- production uh, chores, uh, bringing us great great bands like America. Uh, which a lot of people uh, forget and don't know that he he uh, helped uh, shape some of their hits in the 70s uh, was was also uh, you know knee deep in the uh, the kind of the fusion rock um, stance of the 70s with Jeff Beck's uh, Jeff Beck's Blow by Blow album and 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 really nurtured and and took care of a lot of artists and served as as this elder statesman mentor and and then became. Uh, you know, re- really starting probably 1977 with the Live at Hollywood Bowl album became this kind of, uh, you know, I almost see him as like this Peter Sellers, Gardner being there type caretaker of of the Beatles' l- legacy and, and the Beatles' um, recording uh, history and helping out with anthology. So w- w- what would you say... You mentioned Giles Martin, and that you, you just threw you just threw me the answer in, in a way. But w- w- what would you say is is his legacy as as a producer uh, for for us today? Well, um, now some of this you'll have to wait for volume two, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I think it's two things. One, you're absolutely right. He was the keeper of the Beatles, the caretaker of the Beatles. Uh, so much of this great music that's been preserved so well, firstly, is because he recorded it so exactingly in the 60s. You know, when you listen to the Beatles, and I know you've thought of this and have imagined this already, it's not like listening to the Kinks. As wonderful as the Kinks are, most of their recordings do not have the fidelity of the Beatles. They don't Absolutely. sound uh, as though they're caught in 1965 or 67. George put enormous care into those recordings, and you can hear it on every square inch. Uh, of those artifacts. So it's very important that he does that work initially, but then of course also that he is, he is that keeper of the Beatles and he maintains a certain reverence uh, for their story and the recording practices that were used in making those records. Um, It does help that uh, folks like Mark Lewison come along in the eighties and begin working with people like like George Martin, and they're starting. Mark is starting to historicize those recordings, and as you mentioned at the onset, that that incredible book that set so many of us off on our work. Um, I've got like three copies of the thing. I think I have one in my car. Mm-hmm. You know, just to have easy access. Um, I actually do have a PDF on my computer, so you know, I I, I, I uh, although my my desk cover is still uh, in tip top shape, so try not to be too envious there. In any event, um, you know, George George, I think his most important post Beatles comp- accomplishment is the Beatles, uh, in a lot of ways because he helped to package them. And one of the reasons why they've achieved this kind of cultural dominion when other acts have ebbed and flowed from pop music storyline is because of the care that he's always put into their recordings, even through the later years of his own life. Now, having said that, as far as recording other artists, and you mentioned some, some great material to be sure, and there are other tracks that are near and dear to me, even Cheap Tricks All Shook Up album, Paul McCartney's Tug right. War, for example. 
You know, lots of great albums that he did that I that I love, and certainly those America tracks are very important. Having said that, just like the Beatles themselves, they were always the sum of their parts. And so, to my ears, this may not be how everybody feels. John, Paul, George, and Ringo, as they go their separate ways, um, never, of course, again, this is my opinion, match that accomplishment. They can't. And the same is true for George. You know, it was a marriage made in heaven. It was a marriage of five, six if you want to count Brian Epstein, maybe eight if you want to count their two uh, indispensable roadies, tour managers, whatever, Mm -hmm. Mal and and Neil were, at least at that point. Mm -hmm. So they were the sum of their parts. You know, it was a, a prescription for success that could only exist inside that cohort. Uh, I was I, I did a Sergeant Pepper presentation uh, here at, at Monmouth University recently uh, when we have a record club and our record club uh, entry that week was Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band because of course it's 50 and it was fabulous had great fun and not surprising we did spend most of our time on a day in the life during the Q and A at the end mm-hmm. uh, one fellow said uh, he had asked about George Martin and he said we well, you know it wouldn't have mattered. Whichever producer had worked with them, it still would have been great. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, I have to be where my dean had at all times, right? <laughs> but I, I said, well, you know, I just don't completely agree with that. Um, I, think, I think George was the indispensable final piece. The great Walter Everett, uh, who wrote the Beatles as musicians, the two-volume set, uh, has an excellent moment when he talks about August 1962, uh, and the magic of the Beatles now had the perfect drummer in Ringo, and they were just about to start recording with the perfect producer for them. All of the pieces were in place, and George was one of those. Brian was the probably the only manager who could have dealt with them during that period and kept their spirits up when they were getting really low. Mm-hmm. That is uh, that is so true. And 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 speaking of books, and I I know that I will probably. Be working on a second copy uh, once I uh, destroy the first copy that I have of, of your. I, I, mm-hmm. I just love how you've arranged the Beatles Encyclopedia, everything Fab Four, which which just came out and landed in my mailbox last week. And one of the things that I was I was happy to see, and you know, and again, I devour this stuff as a as a fan and 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 scholar of of the band. But one of the things I was so happy to see an entry in the book was. The, the oft-forgotten Beatles Rarities album, and, and not only just the U.K. version, but the U.S. version. And I, I made a little note in, in the book. I said, i got, I got to give you props for that. Uh, and and it's, it's just a small example of, of how great this book is and, and will prove to be a, a great resource for uh, first-generation fans, second-generation fans, and future fans as as well, so this I'm, I'm really excited about that, Ken, and I'm also excited about Maximum Volume cu- coming out, and, and perhaps for our listeners, um, may, maybe give us a little little taste of of, of the uh, that two volume series that that uh, Volume One's coming out this summer. You bet. We're going to debut it at the uh, Fest for Beatles fans in Chicago in August. Um, we'll have copies available there, and the first volume goes from George's birth through his 40th birthday in January 1966 when he's got this new marriage in front of him. He has Revolver in front of him. You know, they're, they're going to take a hard turn with the band toward a, a whole new level of creative artistry. The touring's going to stop. Um, you know, he's started his own company. He's gone. I think the last line I have, I planned it from the start, is he's gone into business for himself. <laughs> You know, which is <laughs> always a kind of trajectory that, that he was heading for. So that's volume one. And uh, volume two will be called Sound Pictures. And it will be the story of those those great masterworks, one after the other as they're created. And then, of course, uh, the later years, including things like America and Jeff Beck. But also, as you so well noted earlier, the issue of, uh, of keep, uh, being the keeper of the Beatles, which is a very good way of looking at it, being their kind of almost their literary ex- executor, right? Their creative executor, Absolutely. their musical executor. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just ripping mm-hmm. on this right now. Um, I'm glad <laughs> you mentioned the Beatles rarities. You know, as a second-generation fan, that was a huge record for me. I remember yeah, buying same it. Yeah, here. 
um, because <laughs> I, it, it did so many things for me. One, it was like being able to buy new Beatles content, which I was like 12, and I thought, this is great. When would I be able to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I couldn't. <laughs> but then secondly, it, it t- showed me that there's a lot more to this text than I was thinking. It's not mm-hmm. just these 170-some-odd songs. There is a whole new world out here involving different takes, involving different versions of things. It was, it was kind of startling to think that, that there was something hidden. It was sort of like the chocolate factory, right? If only I could get in there and see what, what great things they were cooking up next. It was kind of <laughs> exciting. Huh. You know, and, and I was 10 when that album came out, and that was – that album – and Rubber Soul were my first two Beatle albums, and we, 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 you know, Lane. I know we're we're getting a long time, but that that may be another series in and of itself. Uh, you know, <laughs> these kind of unreleased or on on because Beatles rarities is no longer available. I'm sure if you go to your used record store, or eBay, you can track it down. Uh, I still have my vinyl copy. Um, but but Ken Womack, man, I gotta. Uh, we 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 are just so pleased to have you here. For the Pepper Mindset, and and the book out, that's out right now is the Beatles Encyclopedia, Everything Fab Four. It's on Amazon. It's available everywhere. If you want to get on to Ken's website, please go to kennethwomack.com, and and you can um, get get his wonderful newsletter and and also links to that amazing blog that you do for the Huffington Post. I love that 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 the, the riff that mm, you did right. on. The last moments of Lennon and McCartney. I had tears in my eyes at the end. That was so beautiful, and oh, well, uh, yeah. looking forward to it. It was, it was stunning, man. Um, really was, and uh, and also looking forward to the the uh, the maximum volume that's that's coming out this summer, and and hopefully uh, I will be able to finagle my way to to Chicago and, and shake your hand and get a signed copy. Oh, you can count on it. And if I may just take one more moment, I hope you guys maybe could finagle your way to New Jersey. In November, the first week of November 2018, we're going to hold a White Album Conference. It'll be an international Mm -hmm. affair, um, and it'll be under our new Grammy affiliate and part of a conference series, rather, hosted by um, our newly minted Bruce Springsteen Archives and Center for American Music. It will be the sponsoring organization. And uh, we're expecting... Well, hopefully a good thousand people, and it might be a great place. Consider this an open invitation uh, to use our recording facilities and perhaps do a live, uh, a live version of your show right here from uh, from the Jersey Shore. We'd love to have you. You know, Ken, that would be a, a great honor. And and Lene, I, I, I hear your wheels turning, and I, and I can also <laughs> yes, our yes, mutual yes, friend yes. Nicole, Michael, her wheels are turning as well, and. Uh, I know that I've got some deep ties up in in your area. Uh, one of my best friends is is from that area. In fact, he's a reporter uh, for New Jersey, uh, politicker N.J. Max Pizarro. Let me drop that. Oh, name. Yes. You guys, uh, you guys need to rub, rub shoulders and uh, and and talk Jersey politics and and Beatles. So that that sounds amazing. And uh, the White Album is coming up with a, an anniversary, so we will we will definitely consider that and uh that would absolutely be well i'm i'm in uh, i i got <laughs> um um you, you sold me so yeah i'm in there i'm there that's my partner <laughs> I, I i can pack easy so yeah <laughs> i'm i'm there but thank you that was that's a fabulous fabulous invitation and awesome. um i the white album is yeah, I, I'm still a Revolver girl, and and White Album's probably my second favorite for so many reasons, and I, I just listen to it all the time. So, um, I will. I think it's probably my favorite off of off of that album. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for being here, Ken. You were an absolute um, miracle guest with with all of your um, attuned information and we're looking forward to seeing you in Chicago. I'll be in Chicago and also at Walnut Ridge and we will um, 
trade lots of stories then, and, and hopefully Sean can, can join too. Uh, it might be that a little more difficult from North Carolina. But but we greatly, greatly appreciate you taking the, the time to be here today, Ken. Well, thanks, guys. It was a prev- pleasure and a privilege. Thank you, Ken. And we'll see you uh, soon. Privilege and pleasure is all ours. Okay, well, thanks so much. You guys have a good evening. You too, Ken. Bye-bye. Bye. All righty. So we're going to move on into a education pepperland segment. And I had a question that I wanted to propose to pepperland principal. I, you know, as we're taking in all of this information and all of the the stories about George Martin and the kind of person he is and such. I was wondering, uh, as we were listening to Ken, Sean, if um, what does, how would you compare George Martin to educators of today? I know he wasn't in an, in a classroom so to speak, at a school, but how would you, how would you say that, that he compares? Well, I, I think the, the leap is a, is a legitimate and logical leap. You know, you've got a guy that, you know, in George Martin that, that, is, that is older, has experience, has some, some knowledge of, of how to manipulate the studio and, and how to, to create and produce a song. You've, you've got a band uh, that that has this amazing uh, songwriting talent. Uh, they they are prodigies. Uh, they are untested. And and you know in many ways, Abbey Road Studios. You know I wrote about this in that blog. Is I, I, I kind of make it akin to a, a schoolhouse. And and George Martin is is the principal and, and teacher, and he, he taught them some key elements in terms of composition. He taught them key elements on, on how to engineer um, music. He taught them key elements on, on how to, to create a hit, so to speak. Um, and, you know, and as Ken so eloquently said, they, you know, they, they were open to the best idea. Um, so... In many ways, he 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 kind of serves as as a teacher and a mentor, and and a principal. Most definitely. Well, what do you think? Um, the what does a a teacher who embraces, let's say, the the pepper mindset, look like um, in a in a day in their life? Well, you know. If, I think it all comes down to um, being positive um, and, and building a classroom that 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 is positive and inviting for all students, and and most importantly, the belief that that students are are more than capable of doing great things. And and George Martin, you know, I mean, imagine if if. <laughs> If John Lennon were to come to him in the example that Ken said, and, and hey, when we're doing a day in the life, uh, George, that's the worst John Lennon impression mm-hmm. you'll ever hear, by the way. But but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I want it. I want it to sound like the the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it, what what it should be, but I, I don't know. <laughs> Imagine if George Martin had said Lennon. Get out of here! You're crazy. You're you're mm-hmm. no. We're we're we 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 are going to make a hit because it's tried and proven. The fact that he right. was open, the fact that that Lennon trusted him enough to share this crazy idea, and and Martin really didn't question it. Okay, let's let's see how we you know as as Martin says we're going to create a giant orgasm of sound, and and we yeah. have this. This, uh, you know, a song that's been compared to T.S. Eliot's Wasteland. It's a song, when I was mm-hmm. an English teacher, I taught that song. I used that song mm-hmm. as, as a way to introduce surrealism to, to my students. So um, I think it's important for teachers and, and educators to, to have that pepper mindset, that, that, that openness to, 
creativity, that willingness to to collab to collaborate, and all of that is rooted in in a relationship that 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 is supported with trust. Absolutely, and and I'm just so um, in awe of teachers for everything that they do, and we we trust them with our children, and Absolutely. they. Um, they they are they touch our lives for their our children's lives and our lives forever they're they're just a such a valuable part of our culture and our society so let's say um go ahead I, I, and I would say to add to that you know um and I think Donovan Day last week talked about the recurring dream of being in the Beatles, and, and, you know, I've had that dream too. And I used to wake up being sad that, oh, man, I'm, I'm not on the roof with the Beatles. But, you know, teachers and being in the schoolhouse and, and doing what I'm able to do as, as a principal and, and, and as a teacher and doing this for close to 25 years, I have the ability to work with so many different kinds of George Martins in, in, in our teachers and you know, I saw today in, 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 in the schoolhouse that I'm honored to serve and support, and it, it, it really is, I mean, his legacy as, as an educator is definitely felt today. And uh, so, in a way, I'm in the Beatles. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> we, we both are. <laughs> yes, we are, yeah. But... You and me both, sister. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, well... We have another great show lined up for next Wednesday. Same bat place, same bat time here on Blog Talk Radio, 5 o'clock p.m. Central Time. And our distinguished guests are going to be Jude Sutherland Kessler, the fabulous author of the John Lennon series. There is nobody that I know who researches and researches and researches and checks it over and over and over as much as Jude Kessler does. She has a great, great series on John Lennon. And I believe you were just uh, the recipient of a copy of one of her books, and you're going to love it. Yes, it is. I'm staring at it right now, and... uh, the beautiful cover is staring back at me. She loves you, Volume Three, and and I know that Jude is is working very hard on Volume Four, probably right now as we speak in her beautiful writing space. <laughs> she absolutely is. She did text me a bit ago and said that it was a great show. She loves it. She is listening. Aww. So, um, Love shout out to Jude. So, um. But uh, her her writing is so eloquent, and and she takes you into uh, the life of John Lennon and and what he was going through. You you experience all of it. So that's what I love about the book, her books. And our also our, we also have another guest next week, Terry Whitney. She has she's a great poet, and she has a. Yes book of Beatles rhyme and so she's going to be on as well and I'm hoping that she will plan to read a couple of her pieces for us and we'll chat about what how she got on that track I imagine she was um, led by a teacher or influenced by a teacher at some point of course so we're going to have to shut it down here, uh, Sean, but thank you so much for being here today and putting all of the the key parts of the puzzle together and collaborating with all of the <laughs> <laughs> all of the uh the people involved to make this happen. So, definitely uh is an example of what we can do when we all pitch in together. Be sure you check out Ken Womack at his website, KennethWOMACK.com. He's at Amazon. He's on Facebook. He's on Twitter. He has a blog. 
check out all of those things. He'll be in Chicago at the Beatles Fest, and he'll be in Walnut Ridge in September for Beatles at the Ridge. You can also be sure you follow Sean Gaylord's blog at principallinernotes.wordpress.com, and you can also find me at recipe-records-cookbook.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and a blog, rockblocks3.blogspot.com. Sean, do you have anything else you want to add? I would just say, Lene, it's it's always a pleasure to uh, to hang out with you in the virtual Abbey Road uh, Studios uh, number two, and uh, I, uh, I it's just a joy to collaborate with you, and and I look forward to talking with uh, Terry and Jude next week, and a pretty courageous leap the Beatles make in their career. Not an easy time, and so we'll. We'll talk about that and how that connects to the pepper mindset when sometimes as educators we've got to walk away from those things that are um, holding us back. Very good. Excellent. That's going to be a great show. Thanks a lot for tuning in today. Recipe Records is food for thought, food for the soul, food for the love, rock and roll.